Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Price drop, time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. Cortisol feels really bad. Like, it feels worse than negative thinking. It feels just as bad as if you're, like, hit in the face. So when the boss yells at me, I feel like crying or running out of the building. So what do I do at this point to get my dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin back up to par or even better. I'll tell you what I do. You know what? I actually had a job at a Wall Street bank when I was, you know, in my 20s. And I literally started crying when a boss yelled at me once. We've all been there. We've all been there. We've all cried in the uh, yeah. in, in our cubicles. <laughs> yeah. And But what, what stunned me was that what the boss was on me for was minuscule. It was the tiniest thing. It was not a huge career threatening, but it was small. But these small things happen a lot. So you have to make a decision. Like, am I going to try to rewire myself or am I going to accept the shit or try to create some alternative path? What can I do on my own internally to reduce cortisol, not think negative, and start having these happy chemicals spike through me. I want help. So I'm here with Dr. Loretta Bruning, neurochemist extraordinaire. And Loretta, how's it going? Great, thank you. Uh, you're the author of The Science of Positivity, which just came out. You're also yes. author of a book we've talked about in the past, Habits of a Happy Brain, and also I Mammal. I don't know if that's still called I Mammal, right? Yeah. Because Habits of a Happy Brain, when we spoke about it two years ago, it was called Meet Your Happy Chemicals. And it was exactly. about, and it, I guess it's still about dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and all that, all those fun things. Exactly. I self-published Meet Your Happy Chemicals, and then I got a publisher who changed the title. Well, congratulations and congratulations on the science of positivity. I need to figure out how to rewire my neurochemistry so I can be happier. And that's what this book's about, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about. But I wanted to start with the basics. I always forget, like, there's all these chemicals that fire off that make us happy or sad or whatever, and I always forget which is which. So maybe kind of like a brief summary. I'm even going to take notes. A brief summary. Dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, what are they? When are they triggered? 
Great. Okay. And, and, and how can I and how can I make them trigger more? That's the key. Okay. <laughs> in five minutes. Um, an example I'll give in the animal world as well as in the modern world, because animals don't try to cover up their feelings, so it's very obvious. So dopamine is that I can get it feeling. So in the animal world, you constantly have to find food. And if you put all your effort into chasing food that you can't get, then you're going to starve to death. So you're always making careful decisions about what to go for. Should I climb for that mango? Should I chase that gazelle? So in our lives today, we're always making careful decisions about what we should go after. But what the good feeling only comes when you expect a reward. But when you have a whole refrigerator full of food, then most of our efforts are not like that rewarding in the short run. So this is why it's so hard to figure out what can I do to stimulate my dopamine this minute? Because we're already sort of on track to have our basic needs met. And, you know, frankly, um, sex has a lot to do with it in the state of nature. And in the past, you had to really work hard to get a mating opportunity. So, so let me ask you about this. Is it sex that triggers dopamine or is it uh, finding someone who might be accessible to you that triggers the dopamine? Um, it's the, the second one. The sex triggers oxytocin, but it's the, the expectation of reward is the simple thing about dopamine. So how you define reward depends on your unique life experience because all of these chemicals connected neurons whenever they were triggered that tells you, oh, this is going to be good or this is not going to be good. Can I, can I ask you, and I'm sorry to interrupt occasionally or go on, on tangents, but is this why marketing or advertisement is often filled with sex images? Because it makes you think, oh, if I buy this Coca-Cola, suddenly I'm going to have sex with all these people in bikinis who are drinking Coke on the commercial. Does that like trigger dopamine and make me associate that with Coca-Cola? In some people, depending on that person's unique past experience. So for me, it doesn't work. So I'm sort of a oddball, I guess. <laughs> um, How do you know it doesn't work? Like, have you measured your dopamine? Well, no, my dopamine works, but not the, I don't view myself, gee, if I could only be sitting on the beach with a, a handsome lifeguard, then all my problems would be solved. Like I never went through that phase. We wire ourselves in youth. And um, so those neural pathways, I, I just never built. You know, I even remember I forced myself to drink Coca-Cola when I was young and I gagged. I just hated it. And then after a while, I was like, ah, it's not worth. I'll find the lifeguard another way, you so, know. <laughs> so what what maybe this will help me understand what triggers dopamine for you specifically? For me. That okay, you so specifically in my past or my present. So I'm, I'm like an old lady now. So most of my basic needs are met. So it's a little harder, but like everybody, I guess most of our basic needs are met. So I, up until like last year, I kept giving myself these goals. Uh, what I say is long-term goal, short-term goal, medium-term goal. And every time I would take a step toward one goal and be a little frustrated, I would just shift to another goal. But what I have learned is that so much good stuff in my life came by accident. And so you can't even plan those steps toward rewards. So I decided to be like a little more open to accident. 
But then there's nothing I can do about it to take a step to trigger the dopamine. So I am frankly having a bit of a, like a, <laughs> you know, situation with that. Um, but I, it's, um, new is big for your brain because like you can imagine, like if your ancestors and the cavemen, like they already had enough fruit, but they focused on finding fish. When they had enough fish, they focused on finding fruit. fruit. So it's new. So for example, if a new coffee shop opens up in my neighborhood and I'm working on something and I'm really bored, I'm like, oh, the next time I'm stuck, I'm gonna go to that new coffee shop. And I wanna tell you that I've been saying this for six months and I still haven't gone to that coffee so shop. Does does anticipation spike yeah. dopamine? So so yeah. you so even though you haven't gone to the coffee shop and experienced its many <laughs> culinary pleasures, you still get happy anticipating that one day you will go. Yeah, but obviously it's not that the coffee shop is such a big deal. What really makes me happy is knowing I'm going to finish the project I'm working on. But that's too abstract for my inner mammal. So I have to give it some short run thing. So it's like I know that if I get to a point where I lose my confidence that I'm actually going to finish this project, then I can go to the coffee shop and have a short run reward because you drive yourself nuts with too many long-term goals. So that's when your goals are too far away. So let's say I go to a bookstore and I see a book, shiny cover. I like it. I want to buy it. I buy it, but I haven't read it yet. Is that dopamine because I'm anticipating reading it? Uh, yeah, but that's an old dopamine circuit that said sometime in the past, this some book really met your needs. So it gave you a big circuit and now you have a big circuit. But then when it actually comes time to sit down and read the book, your brain is thinking of other ways to meet your needs in the more short run, maybe dopamine or maybe oxytocin, like, oh, I, I would rather be doing this because then I'm going to get the happy chemical sooner. Okay, so we'll get back to this in a second because I still want to figure out how to, it right now, this second, increase my dopamine. Because as you mentioned in the book, uh, dopamine metabolizes pretty quickly. So once you get that feeling of anticipation for something good and accessible that spikes dopamine, it goes away fairly quickly and you need to find something new. Like you just said, you could be working on a project, but then when you get frustrated, you instantly think, okay, now I'm gonna anticipate going to the coffee shop. So you keep, you try to keep your dopamine level fairly high in this way by switching around from different things that you, that you yeah. potentially can say, I can get it. So now next yeah. thing is what another happy chemical, and all these are also related to, to depression when you don't have them, but, but serotonin, what is serotonin? So my view of serotonin is different from what everyone is saying out there. So in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of research on the social dynamics of monkeys. They are constantly trying to raise their status within their group. Nobody likes to say it because everyone wants to think that the state of nature is all caring and sharing, but in fact, people who have lived with animals have known this for like thousands of years. So the mammal brain is looking for the one-up position in each individual interaction because that stimulates serotonin. And in the state of nature, 
you won't get the food or the mating opportunity because the bigger monkey will come along and steal your banana unless you have the confidence to stand up for it. But if you do, you might get bitten and scratched by the bigger monkey and you could die from the injury. So it's a difficult, constant decision. And when you're finally like, you know, I'm the man, I, I, I am in the position of strength in this interaction, that's serotonin, but then it's gone in a few minutes and you have to do more to get more. So in old times, let's say a million years ago, when we were when you were in a tribe of monkeys, if you felt you were moving up in status, that would trigger serotonin? Yes, exactly. Although if you were moving up through aggression, then it would also trigger a lot of cortisol and stress. So I'm not make, trying to make it sound like it's all... But yeah. in, to, in today's modern world, I think one thing that's different about, and correct me if I'm wrong, one thing that's different about humans is that we have many hierarchies and tribes that we can belong to. So for instance, if you're a writer, you're, you could rank yourself based on your Amazon rank. So if you look at um, Amazon and you see that your rank has gotten better, do you get a spike of serotonin? No, um, you know, a lot of people ask me this and that doesn't work for me because then... The next time I check my rank, if it's down, I know I'm going to have a bad feeling. And I would rather not have that bad feeling. Other people, maybe they're better at this, but I decide to get my good feeling in other ways by um, what I think is that I've created something. My particular one is I've said what I think is true. And other people, they may have more of a rank, they have, may have more this or this or this, but they don't get to say what they think is true. So to me, that's the submissive position, that you never get to say what you think is true because of my unique personal experience in the past and everyone has their own. So so, so again, help me to understand the relationship between that and serotonin, because I, I want to get it right when I, when I try this at home. So do you sort of put yourself in the hierarchy of, let's say from alpha to omega of, people who say things that are true to people who don't say things that are true, who are somehow kind of captured by the system. So they're forced to say things that they think will make other people like them. So, so as you say things that are true, you move up in that hierarchy and you get a serotonin release. Um, that's, you could say it that way exactly, but I try to think of it from a more animal perspective. Okay, tell where me. Rather than, rather than having this big global hierarchy, which is an abstraction, um, the animal brain is more focused on from moment to moment. So every moment when I might feel like I'm in the one down position, that I make myself feel better by saying, yes, but at least I get to have my truth. Okay, so you're, you're basically saying you could command the respect of your animal tribe without worrying so much. You're kind of taking respect for yourself without worrying so much as to where you are in the hierarchy. Yes, but I'm knowing that my inner mammal cares about the hierarchy, so I'm sort of soothing it by saying, don't worry, they're not really high because they're really submitting in their minds. The, the example I always use is like if you're a big, important person with a lot of clients, but you spend all your day schmoozing and pretending to agree with the clients, you and you never get ever to just be real i see so, so the person who then is authentic in the in the in in that particular scenario and is still able to 
say what he wants and succeed and whatever, when he say or she says what she wants, she's serotonin gets spiked. If that's your belief system, which it's mine. Now, here's another way. Many people think, well, I want to be authentic, but I also want to have this and this and this that those other people have. Well, then you can drive yourself nuts because the world doesn't work that way. You don't get to have everything because whatever you invest your energy in, you get that. You're not going to get everything. So if you want to be angry at the world, and that's what my new book is about, is this expectation like we should have it all all the time. And if we don't, there's something wrong with the world. And the way to be happy is to be angry at the world. Like that's nuts. So I want I want to get to the specific techniques you use in the book to kind of uh, deal with expectations and change them, and and as you put it, rewire your neurochemistry. But I just want to understand each neurochemical one at a time. So let's say this is I'll be honest, this is one that I deal with. I I write an article or a post or whatever, and I want people to like it, and I'll judge maybe inaccurately if people like it based on Facebook likes or not likes or whatever, some metric. And am I getting, you know, maybe it's wrong, maybe it's right, but am I getting a boost of serotonin when I see a post get lots of likes? Is that what happens when someone posts a photo on Instagram of a cat and it gets lots of likes? Is that why these social networks succeed? Because serotonin is constantly being fed to its users? Um, yeah, but there's also oxytocin. So oxytocin is the feeling of having social support so uh, or social trust. So when you get the likes, then you feel like I have a herd, I am safe, surrounded by my herd, which some people try to make that sound very lyrical and cooperative, but a herd is really, the wolf is gonna eat you rather than me because I'm in the center, you know? So, so, so then, then does the serotonin get triggered if I get more likes than everyone else? <laughs> So if yes. I'm more popular in some popularity yes. contest, yes. so exactly. serotonin is like the popularity drug. Yes. It's popularity neurochemical. Exactly. So people who take, for instance, a kind of antidepressant, I guess suppresses what suppresses serotonin. So does that make people go from depressed to feeling like they're popular all the time? The way I think of it as um, it's a window of opportunity during which you could build new neural pathways to let's say stop obsessing about being unpopular. Um, but after a while, the drug may not work because mostly they don't, they don't work forever because your brain adjusts and it makes less of it naturally. So, 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 so you only have a short time. So, so, uh, uh, well, definitely, well, obviously important is figuring out how internally to deal with all these artificial ways to boost these neurochemicals. But if I'm just like blatantly, like I want to increase my serotonin, do I just kind of look for a group where I could be a little bit more popular today than I was yesterday? If I'm just being blatant about it. Yeah, well, you could. But the point is then you're going to, you know that you're going to, you, that popularity is always at risk. Right. But then I'm debating you here a little bit. I agree with you. But if I'm just being blatant, Today, I'm going to be a little bit more popular in the office. And I know tomorrow, even if I stay the same, my serotonin will go down. So tomorrow, I'm going to be popular on my local basketball team. Or the next day, I'm going to be popular among the kids I coach in Little League or 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 whatever. So so I'm going to try to reverse, switch around all the different hierarchies that I could potentially be a little bit more in, you know, gain rank in. And that's how I'll keep my serotonin boosted. 
Uh, you could, but the point is exactly as you said, you constantly have to gain rank. And that wears you down with such a frustration that it's almost better to, if we're going to be blatant, let's say lie to yourself. Okay? That's the idea. If you lie to yourself and create a circuit that says, I'm already at the top of the hierarchy. And that's sort of the modern idea of self-esteem, which is to say, I'm all, the way I see it is, I'm already at the good table. That's very simplistic. Whatever table I'm at is the good table. So there's a saying, of course, you know, no matter how much you have, there's always someone with better. So, you know, that, you know, once you convince, it's, it's your point, once you convince yourself you've reached a certain high level, oh, now I've got this boost of serotonin, and then someone comes along and says, well, there's somebody better, then your serotonin goes down, and that always will happen. Yes, if you're on the billionaires list, then there's going to be a new billionaire. And the, the way, interesting way to look at it is if you're the alpha chimpanzee, you're going to make a lot of babies and die young. So our human brain is going to say, whoa, what I'm doing, I'm going to die young if I do this. So you're going to have a lot of stress. So that's the constant trade-off your brain is making. So just, just to um, summarize the, the, the three main neurochemicals you talk about for happiness, dopamine is this kind of anticipation, I can get it. So if I see a mango as opposed to chasing a gazelle, I'm going to go for the mango because that's going to trigger some dopamine in me. The dopamine spike will make me go for the mango. Uh, oxytocin is when I feel trusted by the tribe. So they, in, in some pr primal sense, they protect me from the wolf because I've gained this trust. And serotonin is when I move up ranks in the tribe. Um, but also it could be attached to, in modern society, it could be attached to any metrics we associate uh, with importance, like whether it's money or likes or whatever. Yes, yes. So, so yes. you said oxytocin, that you're trusted by the tribe and also you trust them, okay? Because there could be people that trust me, but I don't trust them. So both of them are Relevant. And oxytocin seems particularly relevant, uh, and you mentioned this throughout all of your books, uh, oxytocin is particularly relevant for sex and for childbirth because a woman has to trust the man because sex for a man is just whatever, seven seconds, but sex for a woman could mean 18 years of hell once you have a kid. Yes. <laughs> so you have to really trust the guy. Um, this is evolutionary psychology. Um, I don't talk more, I don't talk as much about the male female stuff, but it's absolutely true. But the simple way is just touch. So oxytocin is touch. So you can have a lot of touch in a short time, for example, or you could hold hands with someone for many decades or in a herd. You can think like if you're watching a football game and you're like shoulder to shoulder with millions of people. So they're not touching your whole body, but it's a bigger app. And then if you're watching football on television, they're not even physically touching you, but it's the perception. So all of these things we still experience now, but as you mentioned, so many of our basic needs are fulfilled and these neurochemicals are metabolized so easily. In a weird way, it's because our needs are so easily fulfilled. Do you think we're kind of, uh, that's why as a society, we're getting more and more on antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, and so on. It's almost like the satisfaction of all of our pleasures has made us more depressed. Um, I would say that, except I wouldn't necessarily agree that we're more depressed. 
because this is there's a depression industry that is convincing people that there is some ideal state that's attainable. And so if you think, wow, other people are having this ideal state, heck, what's wrong with me? Whereas in the past, like if we know our own ancestors 100 years ago, do you think they went around thinking, oh, everybody else is happy all the time. Everybody else is, you know, on the fast track. They didn't think that. But how do they keep a decent level of, you know, dopamine, oxytocin and serotonin? That's a good question. I don't think they did. I think they went around crabby, frankly. And who talked to you? In, in general, then, humans are curmudgeonly. <laughs> like, we're kind of, as we age, losing all of our ability to metabolize these happy neurochemicals. As we anticipate less, as we get less, and as we trust less. No, I, no, it's not necessarily as you age because um, tolerance also grows as you age. You don't see everything as an emergency necessarily, you know. So um, it, it's it's different from person to person. I think it's more individual differences because we're wired um, by the time puberty is over, we're basically wired. But um, here's the thing you were saying about um, d- depression. Um, it's so hard for us to tolerate each other that we have to decide where we're going to put our energy. And when we put our energy in this, then we have less energy left for that. So we basically get along in stuff that we care about and have to let other stuff go. So nobody can just have this illusion of having it going on perfectly in every aspect of life in every moment. But that expectation has been created, you know. But yeah, so that's, so so in an ideal world, we don't have that expectation. And that's what you talk about in your book. And again, I, I, I promise you we'll get to it. I'm just trying to understand the, the basics. But most people don't live in that ideal world. Most people, I mean, most people do live in a world where they think they should get it all. And uh, do they end up getting depressed because, obvi- or, or at least anxious or stressed because, or, or, or as you put it early in the book, cynical, because you can't get it all, all the time. I, yeah, yeah, And yeah. So, so do you think as a society we've become, like for instance, in this last election, no matter who you were for, everybody kind of said the other half was stupid. And that was kind of a way of getting, gaining superiority, uh, a feeling of superiority over the other half. And that, I guess, would spike serotonin in the face of actually stressful thinking. It's a negative way of spiking your serotonin. I absolutely and totally agree with you said what what you said, and it's a good summary. And it does sound a little frustrating. So when I feel frustrated, then I look for the positive side. So what the positive side is that by this nasty dynamic, we've managed to create two gigantic herds. And in human history, for that large a number of people to feel united, it's a lot. So, so that's why this happened because it has expanded. So we have two strong herds and it's dangerous and nasty that they're going to be going at each other, but that has made two big hurts. So, so another case is, let's say I'm at my job and my boss yells at me. 
So now, and now the other employees avoid me because the boss just yelled at me. So I just lost oxytocin. I just lost serotonin because the, the, the boss is yelling at me. I, I maybe lost dopamine because I don't think I'm going to get a promotion next year or a raise. So, 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 so cortisol, which we, we didn't talk about yet, but it's related to this. Cortisol is, starts spiking. That's the stress factor. So I can either think, as you put it, I can start thinking negatively, Ugh, the boss is just stupid. All my, I'm better than all these people. So I can start thinking negatively or cynically in order to gain all these happy neurochemicals back. Or you've developed a way to kind of build a positivity habit to try to get these neurochemicals back in the face of everyday challenges and stresses. Absolutely. And you really hit the target on that terrible frustration that why would, if the boss is mad at me, that other people will go and support the boss. It's so frustrating. And I, I saw this in so many different aspects of life. But when you read about how the dynamics of a monkey troop and every other species, like, oh my gosh, this is how it works. So then I stopped blaming myself because I used to blame myself. Like, well, why are they always on their side and not my side? And then I'm like, you know, to use a crass puberty level term, it's like they're sucking up, right? You know, yeah. everybody is sucking up so that it strengthens their mammalian quest for power, you know? So, so, so let's say I'm in this situation, which I've been in often and I've been miserable. Like it's the worst feeling. Cortisol yeah, feels really bad. Like it feels worse than negative thinking. It feels just as bad as if you're like hit in the face. So when the boss yells at me, I feel like crying or running out of the building. So what yeah. what do I what do I do at this point to get my dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin back up to par or even better? I'll tell you what I do. You know what? I actually had a job at a Wall Street bank when I was, you know, in my 20s and I literally started crying when a boss yelled hey, at me once. We've all we've all been there. We've all been there. We've all cried in the uh, yeah. in, in our cubicles. So, yeah, yeah, and but what what stunned me was that what the boss was on me for was minuscule. It was the tiniest thing. It was not a huge career threatening, but it was small. But these small things happen to me a lot, and everyone's situation is different. But my situation is when I was in my teen years, I never learned to to um, conform to a group. And that's sort of what's expected in, in a workplace, that you conform. And if you don't conform, you're the one that gets the shit. And that's how every mammal group works. So you have to make a decision, like, am I going to try to rewire myself to conform to the group, or am I going to accept the shit or try to create some alternative path? And rewiring myself to conform to the group you could, everyone has to, you know, it's a matter of degree. People do some of one and some of the other, depending on you got to pay the bills and whatever. Let's say this situation is happening to me uh, and I am crying, just like you were you're crying that one time. What do I do? How do I deal with it? How do, I don't want the cortisol high and nor do I want to think cynically like, oh, everybody's just stupid, so I'm superior, so screw them. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or two hundred different Airbnbs over a three year period, and I loved it. I love. I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house. I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like, I'd rather do anything. 
than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMS app track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's hims.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Every podcast I do is so personal and special to me. So help people discover this podcast. Help me, help the listeners, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can also check out the show notes at jamesaltitude.com slash podcast. And also, if you want to get my blog updates and other updates that I do, sign up for the newsletter at jamesaltitude.com. Once again, thanks so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast. let's say like you, I don't necessarily want to play nice to the group just to get back in their favor, or I don't want to play nice to the boss just to move my serotonin up. What can I do on my own internally to, to reduce cortisol, not think negative and start having these happy chemicals spike through me? I want help. Okay. So, um, the cortisol is triggered by old neural pathways that became super highways in your brain when you were young. And this is the natural normal thing that we're meant to do. Like if you put your hand in a fire, it creates a huge neural pathway that turns on to warn you next time, don't go near a fire. So when we were young, somebody put you down and that created a huge neural pathway so that the next time somebody puts you down, you get a huge cortisol spurt that says, this is dangerous, avoid this situation. But in reality, you can't avoid every situation that triggers your cortisol because that um, th th there'd be so you'd have to avoid everything. And then you still end up locked in your apartment with cortisol. So the idea is to understand your cortisol pathways and tell yourself, this is not a real urgent threat. It's just an old pathway, which is part of that sort of Freudian thing of understanding how your old pathways got there. So somebody in your past gave you that feeling and 
there's all different therapies for going into this, but you know, this like inner child perspective of how can I feel my own power, whether my boss likes me or not, I will have a good life because I have the power to take the next step to meet my needs. My whole ability to meet my needs does not depend on this one guy and this one situation. So you're saying, so you're saying reminding myself of that will uh, help me reduce cortisol and, and maybe rewire how serotonin gets affected up or down or oxytocin or whatever. Yes, exactly. Because you're using the old pathway because you don't have an alternative. So you have to create an alternative pathway, which the old pathway is, I must submit to this power, but this is a really shitty, horrible choice. But, but, but like this reminds me though, I could, I could even picture like exact moments where I must've been feeling like huge spikes in cortisol. So like, let's say I had a job and the boss is unhappy with me and I'm really scared if I get fired, I'm gonna go broke, I'm not gonna be able to pay for my kids and responsibilities, and I'm basically gonna die as a result. How do I start to rewire from that point so that the cortisol goes down and oxytocin, dopamine, and serotonin go up? Because I assume those things going up will allow me to function better. Um, so I'll, what I did when I cried that day on Wall Street, I walked home from work that day which is from Wall Street to Midtown, so I don't know how many miles that is. Um, and I, um, I actually literally thought about quitting that job and being a waitress, because I was a waitress while I was finishing my dissertation. And um, the pay, I started comparing the pay and the bullshit of being a waitress versus the pay, and I realized that what you could think of is that Wall Street is, you know, I'm better off spending seven hours a day on Wall Street. And if I spend seven hours a day, I won't get promoted, but I'd be at the bottom of the hierarchy. And being at the bottom of the hierarchy on Wall Street and having the rest of my life to do with what I want is better than being a waitress. And so- So you found a way to be superior to another group of people. So that boosted the serotonin. Uh, you found a way that in the future, you'd be able to afford your responsibilities still with minimal efforts so that boosted the dopamine. Yeah. And you figured yeah. with minimal effort, you could probably still fit into your Wall Street group and that uh, boosted your oxytocin and reduces the cortisol. Uh, yes, but in fact, I actually failed to fit in with the Wall Street group because these little things kept happening and happening. So I'm just telling you about that day, but eventually I- So did you get fired? I quit, but I had the feeling that, you know, I was, I was at risk. So, so. But I just want to mention to all the waitresses out there, because I was a waitress for a long time, that when you said I managed to feel superior to somebody, I wasn't feeling superior to the waitress. I was just doing the math of, you know, how how many hours a day I had. And I was feeling superior to the people on Wall Street that spent all of their waking hours sucking up. And I decided I'm only gonna suck up for seven hours a day and then appreciate my life after. So <laughs> you almost did um, kind of an exercise in stoicism, which is to imagine the worst case scenario and say, oh, well, it's not so bad and I don't need the cortisol spike that I, my body thought it needed. 
and I can get back to focusing on the things that do get me these happy chemicals. Which is partly variety. You know, you can get some from work and some from after work instead of investing totally in one of those. And every time one of them goes wrong, to not believe that this is an absolute devastating crisis, but to put it in perspective. Should you kind of... Right, so should you kind of um, plan out all these scenarios in advance so that you're aware of them? Yes, and that's what builds the new neural pathway. That's perfect because, see, the new neural pathway is always going to be smaller than the neural pathway you built in puberty because that's when our brain had a lot of myelin and all of our pathways got myelinated and became super efficient. So there's always this impulse to go to the old road because the new road is not as well developed. So every when you plan in advance, you develop that new road. And again, logic won't always get there because logically you could say, well, yeah, the boss will fire me and I will be devastated and it will feel horrible. So the new pathway is to say, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have a cup of tea, I'll walk home from work, I'll watch a movie, by then the cortisol will be down and then I will think about alternative next steps to feel good about my unique personal social importance rather than letting my boss define the social hierarchy. Okay, so th this is great because let me understand this. So once you recognize this cortisol spike, which at least in me, it's like this massive fear that's almost incalculable that, that starts to happen. Once you realize you're experiencing that, um, the key is to just say, oh, I'm experiencing that Let's wait a little while and maybe try to do something pleasurable like watch a movie or take a walk or whatever. And then once the cortisol settled down, I'm thinking a little more rationally, start to think of alternative next steps, alternative positive actions I can take in my life. So what would be some example positive actions? If you were me in this situation, what would be some alternative positive actions? Um, I always look for a few alternatives because you can't absolutely guarantee one of them. So obviously what people think about these days is a new career, but I frankly went through a zillion careers and you may have to. Right. Um, so um, your cortisol is focused on what's the most pressing immediate problem. So for one person, it might be money. And for another person, it might be the social ostracism. So I would focus on whatever is the most urgent and then also have a plan for the others. So the point of a plan is that you know what your next step is, and the second you take the next step, you feel good. So maybe I say, yeah, I actually, I got fired from another job um, after I quit that one. I actually got- Boy, you're just no good, Loretta. <laughs> you're just no good. You're getting like fired everywhere, <laughs> quitting everywhere. Yeah. I. So a short run plan is just how am I going to feel better this weekend because I can't apply to any jobs until Monday. This was before the internet. And so I made a plan to feel calm that weekend. Then how like am I going to apply? Hmm? What'd you do? What did I do? You want to hear something so funny in this particular story? I called back somebody, um, and, and, and eventually um, married the person and then eventually divorced the person. <laughs> so wait, <But> I, <laughs> Friday you got you got fired. So Friday afternoon, you said, well, what can I do to keep calm while the cortisol slows down? 
So that's when you made the call to a guy you eventually married while yeah. spiking in cortisol. There might be a linkage there the, to the divorce. Uh, well, you know, we were together for 17 years. Oh, that's a so, long time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but the, you could say every, everybody maybe gets together that way. I don't know. <laughs> so, 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 um, so actually then let me ask you about a different type of cortisol. Let's say, uh, I'm with somebody and, you know, let's say I'm married or, or whatever, or going out with somebody. And let's say the, the woman, I, I suspect the woman is cheating on me. Uh, and so cortisol spikes up. Like she's not around. I can't get a hold of her. She's out with like a bunch of guys and I get irrationally scared. What then can I do to reduce the cortisol and have dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin spike up? Okay. That's a good question. So, um, there's, you know, two possible options because like I said, it's always the individual life story that decides which thing matters to your circuit. But you know, one, one view would be if she's always out hanging out with other guys, then what she's actually doing with them or not, this is not for me, you know? And then to create like what would be the step to separate my life from that person? So the other alternative would be if you're thinking that it's probably that I'm overreacting and that I'm jealous and I want to accept this person, how to make myself calm while I'm having this surge of jealousy, okay? And then an in-between path that probably a lot of people do is they try to retaliate by doing things to make that person jealous, but it's not stuff that you really wanna do. So the focus should be on how can I fill my stuff, my life with stuff that I want rather than always focusing on them. They did this to me. They made me mad. I'm going to make them mad. How can I make myself happy? Is this person making me happy? So, so, so in this case, let's say I'm, I'm overreacting or I'm jealous. The key is to understand that and then maybe do some activity that is about me, like some, some sport I like to play or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Don't put the focus on them because once that circuit gets turned on, the cortisol is designed to make you look for evidence of the threat. Like if a gazelle smells a lion, it's looking for lions. So you're going to just look for evidence of the threat as long as that's turned on. Yeah, and that's a, a horrible feeling, whether you're in a job or a relationship. I feel, I feel yeah. like jobs and relationships are the two main areas where we feel cortisol spike. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I guess, and related to jobs is money. Like if you're investing in the stock market and the stock market goes down, you're going to feel cortisol because you're going to feel like, oh, I just lost money today. That means I'm going to lose it every day and I'm going to go broke. Absolutely. So, so I, I agree with you on the variety part and on, you know, so, so looking for, for almost like looking for other hierarchies or metrics I could measure myself by. Cause, cause, cause again, we're, we're, we're mammals. So we're going to have to measure ourselves some way that there's no way to avoid it. So the variety is important, which maybe mammals from a million years ago didn't have the variety. Well, but when you say variety is important, there's also variety to not just focus on serotonin of being important, but the variety of oxytocin, dopamine, and endorphin. So the variety of, you know, being physically active, 
having goals that are not related to the relationship and the oxytocin of uh, feeling the safety of the herd outside of your relationship. So, so what are some other ways I can feel dopamine, for instance? Like, let's say I've got, I've got serotonin and oxytocin covered or I don't need them right now. I want to have a spike in dopamine other than taking cocaine. Well, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what I have always done in the past was to plan a trip. And now I, I have been almost everywhere. I'm like almost at the end of like, where can I plan a trip to? Um, a lot of people like to always go back to the same place, but I really don't get, that doesn't do it for me. I like the sense of discovery. And there's all, almost no new place that I can discover, which is sort of like I said, why I'm in a sort of a dopamine crisis. But if as long as it's working for you, like planning something that you always like. So for some people, it's a trip. For other people, it's a social event. For other people, it's a sporting event. So when you have something you're looking forward to, the steps toward that event feel good. Okay, and now what are some things to increase serotonin? Um, to, again, feel, I have, oh, here's the one I always use. People are saying positive things about you behind your back. So instead of thinking of the negative things they're saying, which I've certainly done that, to think, you know what? People may be saying positive things about me, and I've actually ignored that in my rush to focus on the negative things. But what if you're lying to yourself about that? James, your Facebook group is so full of people saying positive things about yourself that if you don't focus on that, it's because the circuit for looking for the negative is so big because you have so much social support there. So, okay, right? uh, I agree. And But what about just for the person, you know, the average person who needs a little bit more serotonin, they've been beaten down a little lately. How? What are some things they can do to, to boost their serotonin? Okay. Um, like I said... And I know everyone's different. Yes, yes. Um, if you think... I got it going on because I get to do X and other people don't get to do X and focus on something you have. And again, don't just focus on putting them down, but focus on putting yourself up. I now, once you say I get to do X, then you, your cortisol may say, yeah, but you may lose X. So, <laughs> Um, so that's where variety comes in is like, I get to do X, but I could also get to do Y. So a lot of this in the second half of your book, you discuss, well, in the first half of your book, you discuss cortisol and how we can maybe boost all these happy neurochemicals again, through negative thinking, like in the example before where one half the country thinks the other half country is stupid. So they feel superior and thus get serotonin from it. So that's like negative or cynical thinking, or, or they think they're out to get me, which is, which actually reduce in a weird way, reduces stress through negative thinking. It's like the power of negative thinking, which is not good. So you suggest developing a habit of positivity and you talk about doing three positivity acts a day for six weeks. And I just want to understand a, what a positivity act is, why three times a day and why six weeks? Okay, great. Um, 
positivity act. I didn't actually say act, but um, yeah. What was the word you used? A, uh, maybe I'm thinking of personal agency. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what I talked about personal I, I say you can pair your negativity, P-A-R-E, with personal agency and realistic expectations. And three times a day to stop and look for something good in your life because your brain is already skilled at looking for bad things. But okay. let me ask you, is that just like sure. um, uh, a gratitude practice? I, I feel like there's a little bit of difference between that and a gratitude practice. And, and you point that out, the distinction. Yes, the difference between that and gratitude, and I'm not against gratitude, but the way many people learn it is they're focusing on puppies and rainbows and butterflies and not focusing on their own strengths. And the only thing that suits your inner mammal is your trust in your own strength. Hmm. That's the only ultimate skill. So if I three times a day, if I find something good in my life and give myself credit for having created it, instead of just thinking that I'm thanking the universe for letting it fall in my lap, then I can build trust in my own ability to take steps to meet my needs and have you know realistic perception of my needs. So for instance, if I'm feeling bad today about my writing, I could stop and think about, okay, well, here's three other writing projects I could potentially begin within the next day. And that would be like a, a personal agency that's realistic. Yes, uh, another realistic thing though is when I'm feeling bad about my writing, there's only so many hours that a person can focus on something. And if you don't clear your mind, then you're gonna be in a hole of frustration. So it's more realistic to take a break and to do something else that completely shifts you, you know, that you're not thinking about your writing for a certain amount of time, whatever amount of time it takes to totally stop. I'll tell you what I've been using lately. This is so funny. Um, my translator lives in Medellin, Colombia. And so I went there to visit him. And then I got into the sort of the Pablo Escobar thing, which normally I would hate that. And so I'm watching this Latin American soap opera about Pablo Escobar. And because I have to focus so hard on the Spanish and the English, it completely clears the decks, you know? So it's a real, just, example so 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 building this positive habit one of the you know, let's say i'm doing it three times a day uh or you know building this habit of positivity if i'm frustrated about something stop and do a do a positive habit in some other direction where you it's where you get the variety in and do that three times a day um th that's actually something that i didn't talk about so the positivity three times a day is looking for the good in my life this other thing to clear the decks that was, I'm putting that more under realistic expectations. Do not expect yourself to be able to do something for an unlimited amount of hours in a row. It's not realistic. And if you try to do that, your cortisol is going to make it all look like shit. I see. So and it's worse than it is. So if I'm feeling bad about my boss yelling at me and I think about, uh, ways I ways I could try to please my boss, I might just end up getting down this death spiral. No, he's not going to be happy with that. No, he's not going to be happy with that. So it's better to to clear the deck 
and again, I'm going to say to, to engage in one of your, you know, positivity habits, it may be in a different direction. So I do this yeah. three times a day. Why three? Oh, and also a positivity habit would be nobody, my boss never likes anything I do to think positively about things I've done that people have liked. You know, my boss has liked this. My friends like that. My other bosses have liked that. So I can get people to like what I do. But, but, so okay. that would be an example. Okay, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be your cortisol speaking for a second. That was all in the past, Loretta. Maybe you're no good <laughs> anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that you've lost your touch. You've, you've yes. lost it. So this is, this is fear of aging. That's another thing. And so, what is the positive aspect of aging? The positive aspect of aging is that you've already had your ticket punched in a number of departments. And you don't have to worry about them. So you're only going to worry about what you still have on your plate that makes you feel good right now. You know? So, so, so it's like, okay, so go ahead. Sorry. Oh, well, like I no longer have to worry about X. Isn't that great? And I feel good. I'm like, Phew. so, so why should I practice positivity three times a day? Oh, so why three times a day? Because I use the analogy of slashing a new trail through the jungle. So you have a jungle of neurons and it's so hard to slash a new trail that you're tempted to take the old trail because it's so much work to take one step. And you um, and if you, the more often you slash through the same trail, the more easily the electricity in your brain can flow through that trail. Because like in the Amazon, if I slash a new trail, it will immediately grow back. So I have to keep slashing it because the flow of electricity is what makes me feel normal. And if I don't build that new path, then I'm actually going to feel normal while I'm in that death spiral feeling like shit. That's my normal. So, so it's like what you were saying when we were very little, we were building these strong neural pathways and now it's a little harder for us to build these neural pathways. So this is a way of, difficultly because it's, you have to do it many times, but this is a way of building new neural pathways. And why three? Is that kind of like a scientific number? Cause I've seen lots of different things about uh, how long it takes to, to, to make a new habit. And I've never seen like a, a, the same date. Is it just sort of kind of each person's different? Um, the, uh, the reason I said three is because each one is only a minute. And if you're only activating something for a minute, you need to keep re-sparking it. There's different things about how often do you need to keep sparking a pathway so that the pathway doesn't die. And I have to moderate that with how often is a person going to do it? Because if you make it an unrealistic goal, they're not going to do it. So since people are used to having three meals a day, I figured three, three times a day is the amount of time a person would be comfortable actually doing it and still be often enough to keep the pathway alive. And why six weeks? So six weeks I got from the Kundalini Yoga people who do this exercise where they tell you to fold your arms and look at which arm is on top and then try to reverse it so the other arm is on top. And it's so hard to do that you actually feel like you're not even connected to your own hands. And I love that. And they said it takes six weeks to train yourself to automatically put the other one on top. And I like that because it's, it's, there's no 
right and wrong. The one that's on top is just random chance. So even when there's no emotional baggage, it's that hard to just change your automatic. And and I guess the six weeks is a little arbitrary in the sense that someone should just continue to always do this. It's not like someone should stop being... It's not like someone should stop being positive after six weeks because it's just going to happen naturally. There's always going to be new challenges, as you've said, that we we build tolerance on each of these neurochemicals. Exactly. So the idea is that if it feels forced in week one and week two and week three to know that it's going to feel natural in week seven. So, so really the, the final, first off, this book's great and I've, I've already quoted it uh, a million times because it kind of boils down so many times when people tell me they're frustrated about their writing or their relationships or their jobs, it really does boil down to a lot of them taking the negative way out. Uh, on, you know, their cortisol spikes and they say, oh, well, I'm too old to do this now. Or, oh, my boss just hates me or he, you know, is not as as smart as me. So they always think negatively or cynically. And your book is kind of the perfect solution to that sort of thinking. And, and, And once I read your book, I started seeing that cynical thinking everywhere. Almost everyone who talks to me is subject to relieving their stress with this negative thinking. So you hit the nail on the head with this. Thank you. But, but why did you, why did you get into this? Were you, why were you absorbed in this topic? Well, um, I I will tell you the truth. Okay, I haven't said this to anyone yet. Um, I, I promise I won't tell anybody. Ah, no, I, you know, um, I'll make some people mad, but you know what? Go for it. You want to get mad? Go for it. Um, so I had finished writing Meet Your Happy Chemicals, and I thought I'm going to do something good public service wise. And so I went into training to be a CASA, which is a a court appointed child advocate. And um, these are children who were taken away from their parents for abuse or neglect. And I was abused myself. And so I took it seriously. And I was being trained to think that, um, that I'm supposed to have the attitude that these children are not abused, it's just racism. And everybody abuses their child, it's just because of racism that some people get caught. And that made me so mad. And I, it was so painful because it triggered my own painful past, which is not only the abuse, but then I spent my whole life in academia where you always have to come down on one side of every issue and you're totally ostracized if you don't. And so it was just everything. And I felt so bad. I didn't know what to do. And so I relied on my, one of my old pathways is go write another book. Okay. That was your variety. Like your, that was your positive, like calm down and then, Oh, I can move forward on a book project that will give me uh, self-esteem basically. It's not really variety because if I always respond to things by writing another book, it's not, you know, so that that's my problem. But what you said that hit the nail on the head, um, when people take the negative road, oh, my boss, my this, my that, you get social support for doing that. Many people, um, all of their social support revolves around the negative. So you have to support other people's negative stuff in order to be in their herd. And the minute you don't, 
Like people who drink hang around with other people who drink. People who this hang around with other people. And then they hate everybody who doesn't share their negative thing. And so I felt like I was sort of left out of every herd, you know? So how so, can you, so obviously that feels bad because your oxytocin goes down, your cortisol goes up, you might get eaten by the wolf yeah. if you're at the end of the tribe. So how do you, how do you counteract that? Well, um, partly, you know, at that point, Meet Your Happy Chemicals had just come out. Nobody read it. Nobody read I'm Animal. So I wasn't getting any support from readers. So in a way, it was sort of a withdrawal to withdraw into another book on the positive expectation that at some point this would get attention. My short run serotonin was maybe not many people will read it, but at least I get to be in the truth rather than having to be in a lie all the time. And the reason that was so important to me was because when I was young and my mother was beating me, I was made to believe that it was my fault that she was beating me. You know, it was never acknowledged that there was a problem with her. It was always that I was the problem. And so that was the big lie that I spent my whole childhood in. And so for me to be able to not have to suck into some big lie is my my deepest sort of safety. And how do, how do you how do you get out of the lie? I mean, we're all probably many of yeah. us not as extreme, but many of us are living in some sort of lie or set of lies. Like for instance, the lie that, uh, I don't know, if it, you only could be safe if you have a job or certain people have to be elected to Congress or the world's gonna go to war or whatever. Like we're all kind of uh, indoctrinated into some lies. Yeah, so you have to, if you obsess over everyone else has, I'm gonna see the world in a certain way and I think something is a lie, but if I expect everybody else has to agree with my truth, otherwise the world's gonna end, then I'm gonna be in cortisol all the time. So I have to accept that, like for example, my mother was in this lie, I never succeeded at changing her. Um, so you have to accept that other people are always gonna be in their lie. Um, and I didn't really answer your question about, um, you know, when, when you're shunned from all of the herds. So when I was young, I didn't get to be in a herd. So um, that was bad then, but it did build in me the skill of being without a herd. Now, other people don't have the skill that I have of being without a herd, but they have skill in something else. Like probably they're more tolerant of this human quirk or that human quirk. And so they can fit into that herd and feel good about it. So, so you, you do mention you know, kind of take positive agency, but with realistic expectations. What what does that mean? Like, what if your expectations are too low? Uh, like, you know, I could have an uh, expectation of, you know, it's okay to be broke and homeless, and then I'll be happy all the time because, uh, you know, I'm a, uh, it's a long way to go before homeless. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or it's okay to hang out with people who are mean to you. Right. So yeah. how, how do you um, make sure your expectations are not too low? So that's good. Um, let's see. If a person is tolerating that, and by the way, it wasn't positive agency, it was personal agency. So if you I believe- I sticking in your, to that word positive, but you're right, personal. Yeah. 
Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm with people who disrespect me, it's because I don't believe in my own power to have better relationships. So personal agency is the belief that I can create what I need. So if I can not be with this person who's mean to me and to be with someone else who's nicer to me, and it's the belief that you can make that happen. And what is the steps I need to take toward that? So it seems like as you build up the, this habit of personal agency, you'll, you actually will develop higher realistic expectations because you'll start to see your strengths and your worths and so on. It'll kind of happen. It'll be a habit. Yes. Yeah. So, so Loretta, as you know, I've been an early reader of yours, despite nobody else reading your, your yeah. books, but you know who recommended, um, meet your happy chemicals and I mammal to me. Did I ever tell you that? Who, who? You did, but say, say it again. again. Uh, Tucker Max actually recommended it to me who, um, uh, he wrote, I hope they serve beer in hell and assholes finish first. Yeah. So he actually really encouraged me to read your books to understand why I was so obsessed with how people viewed my writing, for instance. So as a way to, to deal with that. So, I thank you very much for all the help through the years, just through your books. And I uh, hope you think of that the next time you wonder who your who your books are, are impacting. Well, I have to say that I, I thank Choose Yourself for my decision to self-publish. Oh, good. So, yeah. So, yeah. so we both helped each other. So, yeah, great. So Dr. Loretta Bruning, author of The Science of Positivity, I really again, recommend this book. It's also really nicely formatted. It's really quick read and it'll help you understand all these neurochemicals and, and build up this habit of, I'm going to call it this habit of positivity, but, uh, and, and help fight the negativity that, that we're so inclined to do. And thanks, uh, Loretta for coming on my podcast. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Nice talking to you. Thanks Loretta. Hey, I am so glad you listened to this episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It will only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the podcast. And my goal is to share this great content with as many people as possible. To see the show notes, just head on over to jamesaltucher.com slash podcast. While you are there, you can join my free insiders list to get notified when I post a new podcast. Every day, I also share my best and most controversial ideas. You won't get this stuff anywhere else. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.